You're listening to Sermon Audio from Jerusalem Church, an independent Reformed church in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Our expository preaching ministry is devoted to proclaiming the law and the gospel for the glory of God and the salvation, growth, and comfort of Christ's church. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at JerusalemChurch.net. Here's a message that we hope strengthens your faith and comforts your soul. Psalm 88 is a psalm of lament, and many of you might already know that the psalms are collections of poems or songs uh, very similar to a hymnal today. So the psalms are from the ancient times, poems and songs that were collected during those times. And uh, like today, we have a collection of songs and other poems that are in our hymnals. So the psalms are actually the hymnal of God's people, have been for a long time. And as you might know, there are different types of psalms. There are praise psalms, giving glory to God. There are royal psalms, showing God's kingdom. And there are, like this one, lament psalms. The lament psalms are the ones that are crying out to God. The author is pouring out his heart to the Lord. They express deep sadness of the heart, or distress, or anguish, like the words that we've been reading. And it helps us to see things in Scripture that we don't normally focus on. Most lament psalms, including the one that we sang earlier, show that the Christian is the sufferer and the pagan is the one that's prospering. Often the author is using death as an analogy of the darkness of the soul, or even feelings of regret or the stain of sin. And most lament psalms end with an eternal resolution. There's a Godward focus at the end that kind of repositions the heart of the psalmist. Psalm 88 differs in a few ways, uh, the main being that last one. So that Psalm 88 does not have a God-focused resolution. It does, however, have a God-focused beginning. So the verse 1, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. So the psalmist, right from the beginning, is letting us know that he's crying out to a sovereign God who is listening. We're going to keep that in mind. But the main reason this psalm differs from others is actually its ending. It has no Godward focus resolution, and even that last line gives us feelings of uncertainty. My companions have become darkness. Does the psalmist have no one in life to care for him? What would happen to the psalmist after this psalm? It might leave us wondering. And in doing so, the psalmist is actually really portraying the darkness of his own soul. He's capturing exactly what he's trying to do. He's able to communicate the depths of the distress that's happening in his own heart. Now, this text is important for all of us. It's God's word. But for some of you, lament and sadness are close companions in life. It might be this season. Perhaps you lost a loved one. It might just be the type of person you are. Melancholy. Uh, For others, it might be hard to remember the last time that you were truly sad. Now, I mention this not to brag or be boastful, but uh, my wife and I were considering how many times I've cried because of sadness in our life together. We've known each other for 12 years. Ten of them being married. Every day is a delight. Uh, But we spent a few moments recalling the times that I cried because of sadness, 
And folks, it was less than five. Now, she also has a struggle. She's been vocal with that with many of you, uh, having clinical depression since being a child. You could say God has a way of balancing us out. I can only see the silver lining, and she struggles too sometimes. If you're like me, you might be thinking, okay, so why a sermon on lamenting? If, I don't, if you don't struggle with lamenting, if you're not a person who is sad all the time, why would you need to hear a sermon about it? Well, God calls us to weep with those who are weeping and to mourn with those who are mourning. And certainly, even if you're not the one who's struggling with lamenting or struggling with sadness, you probably know someone who is. And if you're not like me and you are someone who is in a season of depression or you are struggling with sadness or you are feeling those deep tensions of the soul, there's good news for you. You're represented here in Scripture. Haman, the Ezraite, is writing to and for you. It's, it's great. This psalm is for you. I hope you can relate. I hope you can see how God might comfort you through this text. Now, this whole psalm is connected uh, to the Apostles' Creed through the lines, He descended into hell. Okay? When we say He descended into hell, what we mean by that is, in my greatest sorrows and temptation, I might be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by His unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which we just read about, which he endured through all his sufferings, but especially those on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. Psalm 88 is foreshadowing the suffering that Christ will bear. He bore the full wrath of God. We'll unpack more about that later. As we move forward in our text, we're going to be focusing on the last few verses. But I did want to point out that introduction one more time. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Now this is a very important introduction because the author goes from here into the turmoil of his own heart. But you might see throughout that he calls again on the Lord. Verse 9, every day I call upon you, O Lord. Verse 13, but I cry out to you. So although he's wrestling with these things in his soul, although Psalm 88 does not have that, that nice Godward resolution that we might want and be looking for, throughout the psalm there is this dependence, this humility upon God's sovereignty. The psalmist knows that God is the one who's in control. Our first comfort comes from verse 15. When the pains of life set in, God gives you his word, his church, and ultimately himself. Trust him to care for you. So what comfort is there when you've been afflicted with calamities your whole life? Look at verse 15. Afflicted and close to death, from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. This is strong language. And although it's uncertain whether or not the, the psalmist is describing something, a physical ailment or a spiritual distress, 
is not really the point. But the point that he's describing here is that it started when he was young, and it has not ceased. And most likely, the author Haman is in his midlife when he wrote this psalm, and so it's been many years since he's had this affliction. He says, afflicted and close to death. When we're close to death, we're about to die. He's feeling like he's about to die. That describes this severity and intensity of these feelings that he's having. In verse 15, he also says, I suffer your terrors. He's attributing this to God. He's suffering under God's judgment or God's allowance of these things that happen. He gives God the credit for his affliction. Now, we don't know necessarily the heart of Haman, only through the words that he's writing. Could it have been that he's pointing his finger and wagging at God? I'm suffering your terrors, Lord. Why are you doing this to me? Or, perhaps, he's saying, God, I know that you have caused this for me. I'm suffering your terrors. You have allowed this to happen. He has a heart of humility elsewhere in this, in this passage. And he uses the word helpless. He's probably saying helpless because he knows that if God is the one who is allowing this to happen, God has to be the one to take this away. If God is the one that did this, who else is he going to turn to for help? He's helpless. What options would he have to seek relief? Now again, it's uncertain whether all this is physical or spiritual or perhaps both, but he's experiencing deep struggles. So, Let's say that you were in a car crash as a child. It was a pretty serious one, and you lost the use of your legs. You're now bound to a wheelchair for the rest of your life, and you're going to have good days and bad days. On good days, perhaps you feel like taking a wheelchair around the block for some fresh air. On bad days, you don't even get out of bed. On a particular bad day where you're lying in bed, and let's say it's been a few years, you're now no longer a child but a teenager, you get a, a text or a phone call from that what you thought was true love and they broke up with you. You're experiencing that broken heart. On top of that, you've contracted the flu, you now have body aches and chills all over, you're sweating, and you got a, mail, a letter in the mail from the hospital stating that they didn't cover your last treatment for physical therapy. So you have this broken relationship, physical illness, and financial hardship on top of being a paraplegic. I would say that's a pretty bad day. Could that relate to how this psalmist is feeling? That this psalm is describing maybe the worst day he's been having? So kids, unless you have perfect parents, and we've all been kids at one point, haven't we? Unless we had perfect parents... Unless we had perfect siblings and we had a perfect childhood, we could relate to this psalm. He says, from my youth up. Well, we've all been youth and some of us are now up, some more than others. But there's, whether it was something severe for you or something less severe, we can relate to what he's saying here. You're not alone. The psalmist is writing to and for you. So he's writing to you because... He's pouring out his own heart in this text, and he's allowing us to read it. He knew that this was going to be sung as a psalm. He knew that this, was, perhaps, that, that even this would be lasting generations. 
but he's also writing for us. And he's writing for us because this is a prayer. He's writing to us in a way that it's publicized. This was a public song during his time. But he's also writing for us because he's modeling how to lay out your own heart towards God. So all of Scripture is inspired. All of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. So it's not just the New Testament epistles that are profitable for us. It's not just the New Testament. It's the Old Testament. It's the Psalms. That includes lament psalms. So when you're feeling like the psalmist is here, you can pray this prayer to God. The psalmist prayed this prayer to God. And we have great hope that God heard him. It's in our scriptures today. And psalms are not just good and right to pray as individuals, but they're good and right to sing, which we just did. We sang two of them this morning. The psalms are the hymnal of God's people. So folks, when the pains of life set in, God gives you his word, his church, and ultimately himself. Trust him to care for you. So what comfort is there when you're feeling completely alone? Let's look at verses 8 and 9. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. And then also in verse 18, he says, You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. That sounds like a mirror of verse 8. My companions have become darkness. Haman, the writer here, is unable to see past the sorrow. He's unable to see past his own soul's sadness. He says that darkness is my only companion. My beloved, the one whom he loves, the one whom he was committed to, and his friend both shun him. So there can be several things that would lead Haman to this. There could be several scenarios in which we would be lonely or that would lead us to loneliness. One can be unbelief. Perhaps we're not believing that God's promises are true for us. Perhaps it's life circumstances. It could be someone close to you has died. It could be that you didn't make the cut for the team that you were trying so hard to get on. It could be that you felt left out from the party that you were hoping to be invited to. I want to illustrate it this way. So let's pretend we're all 20 years old. We have all the energy of a 20-year-old. And you set out on your own to go on your favorite hike. All right? This is a familiar path that you've taken many times. No issue for you. And because it's familiar for you, you don't take much along with you. You're planning maybe three or four hour hike, decent amount of time, but not overnight, not a week, just an afternoon hike. As you're approaching the top, you can't wait to get to that favorite view of yours, to look out over God's creation and see the valley that you're so familiar with. But as you get to the top, you trip and you stumble. You fall down the hill that you're just walking up and you lose your water bottle and the granola bar that you brought along for sustenance. As you keep tumbling, you realize that you're not going to stop and you fall over the steeper part of the hill into a ravine where you break your leg and you injure your shoulder. Now, you're stuck there. 
you are alone. There's, there's no one around. You call for help, but no one answers. Now, without an axe or the skills of the Swiss family Robinson, you can't make a shelter for yourself. Without matches or rope or kindling, it's near impossible to start a fire. And as the sun fades and evening comes upon you, you realize that the sounds of the woods are anything but comforting. The hoots of the owls, the creatures stirring in the night. What else is there to look forward to other than the next morning? But nighttime is upon you, and you have hours to get there. This is what the psalmist is trying to describe for us. He has nothing to look forward to. He doesn't feel like that there's anything that can take away this pain or sadness. So perhaps you are living alone because of broken relationships. Perhaps you feel lonely because the death of a loved one and, and the void that that leaves after years of marriage. Perhaps you weren't invited to the party that you were hoping to go to this week. And maybe you are the one who didn't make the team after working so hard. Folks, God has promised that he will never leave you. Even in these times of trials, whether they be severe or lighter. But I want to encourage you, let your brothers and sisters in Christ minister to you in these dark times. And yes, even sacrificially. As we attach this to what we believe, we can say that this is where we have the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. The communion of saints is a beautiful thing because we are Christ's body. As individuals, we are united to him, but because we are all united to him, we're also united to one another. And Christ provides gifts for his church to use. So when the pains of life set in, God gives you his word, this psalm and others like it, God gives you his church. And ultimately, God gives you himself. Trust him to care for you. So what comfort is there when you feel abandoned by God? Take a look with me at verse 14. Oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? So the psalmist here, Haman, he's experiencing turmoil because God seems distant. There has been no relief from his ailment, ailments or illnesses, and he feels as though God has cast his soul away. And what that means is that he's feeling spurned or rejected by God. He says that God has hidden his, hidden his face from him. And the Bible uses figurative language like this. Obviously, God is spirit. He doesn't have a physical face like we do in a body. But to turn someone's face away is to not pay attention to them. So this means to be emotionally distant, to break off communication, to break off fellowship. And this is the way that Haman, the author, is, is feeling here. Now, did you know that as a Buddhist... A Buddhist believes that meditating long and hard enough, they can actually unlock new knowledge. A Buddhist believes that by the, uh, the suffering of people is only of their own doing. There is no other causes to suffering in the world other than what the person has caused on themselves. And a Buddhist also believes that praying to 
a statue of Buddha or a picture of Buddha will actually help them in life. Now, folks, there is no hope in a statue or a painting, no matter what it is. How can an idol connect with its worshipers? How can a picture of an idol connect with its worshipers? What fellowship is there with an idol or a painting? What communication is there back from an idol or a painting? How do Buddhists have communication with their God? Well, they don't. But when we pray, not only do we have God's word to guide us, but we can talk to God. God's word guides us as his response. So when we pray, God hears us, even if we don't feel like it. We might feel distant. We might feel like God has cut us off. But he hasn't, and we have it here in Scripture for us. We know that he doesn't. He heard the prayer of Haman, even though he felt that way. And dear church, you might feel abandoned by God because perhaps the medicine you're prescribed is not working. Perhaps you've had a serious surgery, maybe the fourth one in your life, and it hasn't resolved that issue. Perhaps the person that you're begging God to repent hasn't yet. Maybe it's less severe and the monotony of life is getting you down. It's weighing on you. Schoolwork, students, day after day, you have schoolwork. Whether it be at home or at school, that can get old. How about homemakers? There's yet another load of laundry. And not just one, but probably three or four that should be done. And as you know, it's not just washing, but it's washing and drying and organizing and folding and putting away. And for others of you, perhaps it's a day at work with that coworker, day after day after day. Nothing is changing. God feels distant. He feels far away. But the truth is that he cannot abandon you. He cannot be far away from you because he's promised to never leave you or forsake you. And he fulfilled his promise by providing you with his Holy Spirit. Now Christ was actually abandoned by God. Christ was actually cut off from communion and fellowship with his Heavenly Father. So when we say in the creed that he was crucified, dead, buried, and he descended into hell, what we mean when we say that is Christ bore in his body and soul the full wrath of God, the full abandonment of God, actual separation, so that you don't have to. When the pains of life set in, dear church, God gives you his word. God gives you his church and ultimately himself. Trust him to care for you. Now, if you're like the psalmist, and I hope you can relate, you can have comfort when your life has been full of calamities since your youth. I know some of you have had difficult lives, even as children. Pray this psalm to God. May it comfort your own soul. When you feel abandoned or forgotten by God, he provides you with his church. Perhaps you've been rejected by a certain group of people, whether it be a team that you were hoping to be on, or the party you were hoping to be at, or 
a group of friends you were hoping to connect with. God provides you with his church. Dear brothers and sisters who will care for you in your times of abandonment. And when you're alone, Christ fulfilled this psalm in his own life. Death, resurrection, and ascension. You are not alone. He has promised that he will never leave you or forsake you. So in times of ultimate despair, we have a, a threefold comfort. Christ identifies with us in our suffering. Our life is not meant to be full of glory and uh, lightheartedness all the time. We're, we're promised to have a life of trouble, a life of suffering. So because we're promised to have that life, we can identify with Christ, and Christ identifies with us. When we identify with Christ and his life of suffering, that also means that we're going to identify with him and his life of glory. Ultimate comfort comes from identifying with Christ, who has purchased us from our sin and misery. So truly, our only hope in life and in death is belonging, body and soul, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You can be comforted in life when you have experienced trauma, when you have depression or anxiety, even wrongful abuse. These things are very severe. And Christ has purchased you. And he is with you. You're not identified by those things. You're identified by Christ. And for those that haven't experienced those severe things, perhaps it's the monotony of life, the day after day repetition of being a student, or that fourth or tenth load of laundry, or that yet another day at work dealing with the same people. Christ has borne the heavier weight of our sin and misery. Christ actually became sin for you. He was cut off from God and from anyone else. During his suffering, both in his life and as he was approaching the cross, everyone abandoned him. There was not one person that stood with Christ on his trial. No one stood up for him. The one that we thought that was going to, Peter, the outspoken one, denied him, not just once, but three times. And in that week, Christ was mocked, beaten, ridiculed, and publicly shamed on an open Roman cross. In verse 3, the psalmist writes, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. Now, as Christ was living his life, he sets his face towards Jerusalem. He knows that's where his life is going to end. So was not Christ's soul full of troubles? Was not Christ's life drawing near to Sheol? Let's look at verse 6. Where this, I'm sorry, verse 8, where the psalmist writes, You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. Who was it that stood by Christ's side during his trial? No one. During Christ's life, who was it from his own hometown who believed that he was the Messiah? No one. He was rejected. And in verse 14, where the psalmist asks, Why do you hide your face from me? Perhaps one of the strongest of emotions here, feeling distant from God. But God did not turn his face away from the psalmist. God turned his face away from Christ. Was not Christ cut off from God the Father? 
Because Christ fulfilled this psalm, we can pray this psalm. This psalm is raw and real. These emotions are, are deep and dark. And perhaps they're not for us every day, but when we do feel this way, we can identify with the psalmist here. The psalmist is not holding back on his true emotions. He's showing those to God. But if we go back to that introduction in verses 1 and 2, we see that he's crying out before God. He's letting, calling God to say, let you hear my prayer. My prayer comes before you, Lord. We can have hope that God will hear this prayer. He had a holy reverence and awe and trust that God will hear him. We can pray this when we're feeling abandoned. We can pray this when we're feeling beaten down or just simply tired of fighting sin. And since Christ, our head, the head, he also has a body. He's not just a head. Reach out to a brother and sister. Reach out to someone, a close friend here. And, and let them know what you're wrestling with. We would love, as elders, for you to reach out to us, but we know that sometimes that's not always comfortable. Reach out to someone you trust here and let them know how you're feeling this week. Christ gives all of us in his church gifts to use for one another. And that includes you. So you have a gift to offer to someone else. Perhaps it's a listening ear. Perhaps it's praying with them. We can even use Psalm 88 to pray with someone who's struggling with these emotions. It has deep wrestlings in the soul. God gives gifts to his church, and some of the ways that we do that here are through our deacons. Now, our deacons are not meant to meet every individual need of everyone here in the church. The deacons are meant here to coordinate the church, to care for the church. So if you have a need, the deacons can match you up with someone in the church who can meet that need. What a beautiful gift. God also provides elders to his church. So as the deacons are here to meet the needs of, the physical needs of the church, elders are here to meet the spiritual needs. If you're wrestling, like the psalmist is here, please reach out to an elder. If you're having deep pain of your soul and are uncertain of your connectedness to God, we would love, the elders would love to talk with you about that. We would want to give you gospel comfort in Christ. Now, it can be humbling and it can be hard to reach out. I think especially here in Lancaster County, we want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps because we can do it. I mean, a little hard work and you can get through the day, right? Well, no, not on a day like this. We need each other. Calvin says this about this psalm. Quote, We should rather rest assured that the Spirit of God, by the mouth of Haman, has here furnished us with a form of prayer for encouraging all the afflicted who are on the brink of despair to come to himself, the Father. Calvin's saying that this psalm is to be used in the church to encourage one another, to pray one, with one another. Christ died for the church, and Christ gave his Holy Spirit to the church. Baptized members of a true church have the promises of God. Are you feeling disconnected from God because perhaps you're disconnected from his church? God does extraordinary things through very simple and ordinary ways. He does extraordinary things like creating faith, building faith, sustaining faith, 
through ordinary ways, like the preaching of the gospel, through the use of the sacraments. Maybe you've been here for a few months or years, and maybe it's not just here, but you're visiting other churches. Is it time that you get committed to a church? Is the church that you're attending a faithful church? There are three things for a faithful church, to preach God's law and gospel, to rightly administer the sacraments, and to practice church discipline. If you're, a part, if you're attending a church that's doing those things, then you need to commit to Christ's church because Christ's blessings are for his church. If it's our church, we would love to have you. And even if it's not, make a commitment elsewhere. God provides for you through his church as a member. And if you're a visitor here, perhaps for the first time, maybe it's been a few times, ponder what it means to get connected. Uh, just before the morning service, we have a connect time with coffee and snacks. Maybe next week, come just 10 minutes early. Connect with someone else before worship starts. If you're feeling lonely and you, you want some more connection, we have uh, a fellowship meal at the end of the month with an evening service. Great time of fellowship. We share a meal together, very low-key. Sit with someone you don't know, and uh, I'm sure you will be welcomed by someone from our church. That is something that I love about Jerusalem Church. Very warm and welcoming. Perhaps you already felt that. And dear church, perhaps the monotony of life is weighing you down. This can be a great reminder that the monotony, the suffering, the despair of this life is not our only hope. We have a great reminder through this psalm that our hope is eternal. Our hope is in Christ. Our home is in heaven. We might be here on this, in this earth, in this life for a time, and it might be tough, but our home is in heaven. We are promised to have tribulations in this life. Our bodies, they wear out. We get afflicted with illness and age. Our souls, we have good days and bad days. We might be doubting or despairing. But one day, church, one day, that will be no more. Because we identify with Christ and his sufferings, that means we also identify with his ascension and with his glory. There is ultimate hope found in hopeless situations. This life of suffering is temporary. Christ's glory and our glory to come will be forever. Christ is our head, and he's preserving you for that day of his return. So as we're here now, in this life, when the pains of life set in, God gives you his word. He gives you his church. And ultimately, he gives you himself. Trust him to care for you in this life of pain and sorrow. Because one day, we will be with him.